All right, so this is the final episode of the season. We have talked about affordability in Canada. We have discussed what the government's done. We've discussed what our opinions are. We've discussed what's worked, what's not worked. And I think this final episode is more or less an open dialogue where neither of us have prepared notes. And uh, we're just going to kind of wing it here. Um, Andrew is into gentrification. You like building up. You think building up is the answer to our affordability. Urban centers, 15-minute cities, yada, yada, yada. I am in more of the mindset that I believe that building out is the answer to affordability and trying to kind of level the playing field over a further distance or a span. So this is going to be an interesting conversation because we disagree on something, which is entertaining to say the least. So Andrew, why don't uh, you get started on maybe setting your debate up? Yeah, so I think it's wildly acknowledged among urban planners, especially. Um, during my time in university in the urban planning department, 15-minute cities rather than five-minute cities. I think the five-minute cities came from Edmonton, but it was 15-minute cities that they were aiming for. So these would be cities uh, that within your living space, wherever your condo would likely be, uh, within five minutes, you can get all your basic necessities, your shopping, your favorite coffee shop, maybe a place to exercise. Uh, and then within 15 minutes, somehow you can get to your working destination. Um, this is often by public transit. So there, there was within that theology, I suppose, um, there would be some type of public transit or transportation, rapid transportation that would be required as they wanted work to be far enough away from where you lived, but close enough that you wouldn't be living um, basically on the train for two hours a day or you know three hours a day or whatnot. However, I found it pretty interesting as I looked into this a little further that I think that they based the whole base of my argument on back up there was that urbanizing or higher density was a solution to affordability. When actually, I think the 15-minute cities were just viewed as better, but not necessarily from affordability standpoint, as we look from on a macroeconomic scale. It was just within small niche groups that would generally either occupy a suburban space or a uh, or like a, a multifamily space or higher urban density space. And really their test was more so happiness than happiness and well-being than affordability. Affordability was roped in there but I can certainly see the, um, you know, the argument from both sides. Um, what we've traditionally done in Calgary is we've built out. So maybe mm-hmm. we should classify this a little bit better as to what we're arguing. Okay, that's valid. Are we going to knock down neighborhoods around the downtown core and build large skyscrapers? And would that be more affordable for Canadians or Calgarians? I think this is a little bit more geographically specific mm-hmm. than continuing what we've always done, which is just continuing into the farmer's field and growing out and out and out and out. You look at Calgary at this point from an airplane, it's like greater than the size of Manhattan, mm-hmm. geographically speaking. So um, I, I, I see it a little bit more from both sides, um, but there's some things that need to happen, I think, for both of them to be affordable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So diving in, why, why do you find that building out and and by building out do you mean like just continuing the suburban sprawl or do you mean um increasing the population in cities like pre-existing cities like red deer is mm-hmm. starting cities completely from scratch uh just out, out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and just like a pop-up city like absolutely in mainland china or something like that what exactly where are we building out so i'm, I'm glad that you did preface that 
um, and just get a better explanation of building out versus up. Because my thought process in a macro scheme is building up Cochrane, Okotoks, Airdrie, like building up those urban centers that have already, you know, they have their amenities, they they have the main streets there. They don't really have that great of public transportation going into Calgary via like a, a rail or something along and trying to build up those neighborhoods. Now, it is interesting because when you look at some of the neighborhoods, as an example, like Chestermere, it's actually more expensive than Calgary on average, right? Because there's a lot more like retirements there. It's um, it's a little bit nicer, quieter, um, slower pace environment than can, when you consider Calgary. But my thought process was that if you were to take some of the less expensive communities like Airdrie, Chester, and Cochrane, you put like a rail line that's a direct rail, no interruptions from both cities. So you could work in Calgary, but live in the outskirts. Yes, it would raise up the average of those neighborhoods, but the hope is that the demand slows down in Calgary, dropping the average in Calgary. So you're kind of just spreading it out, right? So you need good hospitals in every one of those communities for people to comfortably live in. You know, you need new uh, good schools, event centers, but most importantly, direct line going into Calgary. So this is a big investment, obviously, at the end of the day. It's not something that can just be done in five years. It's 10, 15, 20-year plan because you need to plan for the rail. You need to plan for the event centers. You need to plan for all of those cities to boom, right? So rather than building up in Calgary and putting everyone in this urban center, which is still very large, don't get me wrong, I understand that Calgary's large, but we're kind of spreading it out, right? We're pushing people outside of the city to try and have a little bit more landmass used for single-family homes that people love to buy in Alberta. Yeah, I think there's two problems with that. One is that we're, I think for that is that idea to work, we're making the assumption that Calgary's population growth mm -hmm. either stagnates or only slightly increases. Okay. Right? So we're creating a ton of, a, a, a ton of supply really quickly, mm. which isn't true, right? Yep. So we're just, we're just taking the existing populations, fighting over the existing housing and kind of displacing them off to the side or, or creating like these little setters like we see mostly in South Calgary, actually around Seton's probably the newest one, but mm -hmm. prior to that, Mahogany, Auburn Bay, they all, in Mackenzie Town, they all created, tried to create like little, yeah. um, you know, encapsulating communities where you didn't necessarily need to go downtown and that's why people became interested in moving to the South. I think because downtown wasn't necessarily a draw. Um, two would be employment. Right, like, like who's, where are you working? Are you working downtown? Mm -hmm. Is that two-hour, um, you know, car ride downtown for a train to happen? Who's paying for the train? Could the train possibly be profitable if it was private? Is it just going to be an increase in taxes? Why should everybody pay for that train if mm -hmm. it's only the people in that specific area that are benefiting from that train? Series of, I guess, problems with that idea. So. I think you'd have to, if you're going to create, you know, an external city center, we'd either really have to lean into um, working online and tailoring it to those people, mm -hmm. creating employment centers that could exist in that specific area. Like uh, think of uh, downtown Mississauga, right, or Etobicoke, uh, Burlington, outside of Toronto, and the uh, the existing uh, office space that is there. Mm -hmm. And then people will actually have to want to be there as well. Right. I mean, uh, this is true. Not everyone wants to live in a big city. Not everyone wants to live in like a small town, rural countryside place. I would I would agree with you to an extent that I feel like a lot of people would want to live in a city center. Like a lot of young people would want to move 
to Calgary to try and enjoy the vibrance of downtown. Um, two, two things to that point that you brought up, just to maybe kind of build a small conversation on. One, it, it is an interesting topic to talk about. Are we going to go back to the brick and mortar office space because people are more likely to be motivated in an office with a group team setting? Or are we going to really lean on this online virtual office space? Right? Because I think that there was an argument on both sides that online people are more inclined to work a little harder and actually do stuff in the comfort of their own home. But at the same time, people did notice a drop in uh, pr productivity because people are a little bit more lazy at home, right? They don't actually dress up for work. They don't actually have to prepare themselves. But I would think that the online virtual world is here to stay for a bit. And I think that more people are moving to Calgary who actually work online and don't have the um, constrictions of living in one city over another, at least in my experience in 2023. So when you move to an outskirts city, you you have that flexibility if you can buy a more affordable product and get more. Because my second point to that is I would argue that more people would want to purchase a home with grass and fence and a garage over a condo. At least that's the end game. Condos are really good first step to get into the ownership aspect, but I would imagine a lot of people want to own houses. So why build up all of these condos when the end goal for many people is to own that white picket fence with a garage? Yeah, I, I think traditionally in Calgary, that's that's likely the truth. Mm -hmm. Intra I mean, actually... <laughs> that I, that I found here it's like we planned it um and i'm trying to get a quote and i was supposed to circle it but i i suppose i'll just use the broad strokes yeah. of the of the article here that um er, the individuals who live in urban spaces are significantly happier mm -hmm. than rural situations because of their work-life balance yeah so yeah. basing it off that lifestyle um that you just quoted there that you can work from home and you're not necessarily attached to uh, the house itself you can pick up and leave it mm -hmm. however also knowing how a house operates um i personally am looking to move back into a more of an urban setting because we travel so much okay I, I that's valid in an urban setting i don't have a lawn that needs to be cut mm -hmm. the winter needs to be shoveled otherwise i'm going to take it i uh don't need a house sitter to take care of the property to make sure my pipes don't burst while i'm gone totally but i can just lock up and leave mm -hmm. um so in that in that setting where you're bopping around and maybe doing some more traveling because your work allows it, will those people in fact actually move to a rural setting? Mm -hmm. Probably. I mean, if if it's that much cheaper, but I haven't really heard any evidence as to how it would remain cheap. I mean, I think that we could get land for way less, mm -hmm. right? In Red Deer, you can build a new single family detached for like 400k. You can get a townhouse, you know, used for 250. House used for. Uh, 350 330 mm -hmm. you know uh, but people aren't moving to red deer correct they're they're moving to calgary um so where would you build that you'd probably build it around airdrie build it in and around the the airport for people that are flying in and out but would people that are not working in the office space choose to do so i mean there's another interesting article here that also says that um the general urban population their well-being is, is higher typically across canada the earnings in urban spaces are higher than... Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with that. Calgary's probably an exception, to mm -hmm. be honest. I wouldn't imagine that the the rate of income in individuals that live in the downtown core would supersede, let's say, like Upper Mount Royal, just outside of downtown. Still in the city center, I suppose. 
Elba Park, West Hillhurst, mm-hmm. across the river. All considered, you know, city center locations, but then you go down to Mahogany, you got the big, big houses out there, Springbank, Elbow Valley, Bears Pog. And so I don't, I, Calgary's probably the exception in that particular case, but uh, coming back to the affordability section of it, how do we keep those houses low? Mm-hmm. Right? Like we, Airdrie, for example, was totally underwater a couple of years ago. Almost still are. Mm. Oh, that way. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, my apologies. A single yeah. detached, a new single detached um, in Airdrie is also outpricing what new buildings on the outskirts of Calgary. Because there's so much demand. So yeah. Much yeah. Demand. Absolutely. Right. Exactly what you're talking about, but now you're paying more to live further away, mm-hmm. but you're closer to the airport. Yep, absolutely. I think for, for a year or two, the initial investors, but as soon as everyone catches on, mm-hmm. it's like wildfire. It's the next spot to dump money into mm-hmm. versus building tons and tons of multifamily close to the urban center would change their actual lifestyle and how they'd interact with the city and mm-hmm. travel around. I mean, if we invested into public transit downtown you wouldn't necessarily need a car if you did you likely wouldn't use it as much so that's a cost savings right there that you're going to start using either towards your mortgage you're going to use it towards travel you're going to use it towards other things in your life um if you are in the city center right now i mean condos are way up in value allegedly from scarcity but i see so much on the market like you hit almost a ceiling at about 500k mm-hmm. for a two-bedroom right now and we can't seem to break that glass ceiling as far as pricing. So I think it's still revolving values downtown around the rental market and the really high rental rates right now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say that over time it's going to be extremely unaffordable just because of the, the general Calgaryan notion that they don't want to live in urban settings. So I, I think the paradigm shift actually has to happen that there's a certain, it is like a certain level of entitlement to say that everyone should own a single detached. In Canada. Mm-hmm. It's certainly possible. It would create a ton of work, and it would create these really spread out, probably poorly designed cities mm-hmm. for actual lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how people enjoy enjoy their time. Um, but we could... It's a huge cost for the city, right, to do these, like, Seton, imagine Seton everywhere, right? It'll yeah. be interesting to see how Livingston does with uh, in North Calgary with this brand-new community, maybe, I don't know, 200 built houses so far. Not that many, very new. Um, well, we, we created it ourselves. Like, I don't understand why we don't do a paradigm shift here. I mean, the, uh, there's an article here by the university of Waterloo that's titled the end of the single family home. And it covers what we, I, I think a lot of people, especially in the real estate industry, understand that the Canadian or the American dream that I guess like right. Oxy became the Canadian dream was a, uh, a bank scheme to get people into yep. single family detached like Absolutely. we created this dream that everyone should own a house and take a larger mortgage and you should get a bigger property and put all your money in your savings into that house itself mm-hmm. um why isn't the bank doing the same thing right now with just owning a property with a condo why aren't we subsidizing condo ownership they're lower impact both economically and ecologically mm-hmm. um it supports more money into the economy because they're spending less on their on their home and less is tied up and stagnated in their home mm-hmm. you know what i mean so that I, there's a direct correlation to affordability versus i think the building out is in building more suburbs or building you know more towns and whatnot just displaces the problem short term mm-hmm. 
Like, are we just going to continue building these like satellite cities and we'll just move from one to the other with like a pocket of investors that'll profit off of each little skip, mm -hmm. you know? And will the interest stay there? We're like lifestyle red deer. I mean, I personally wouldn't live there, but I could see the appeal. Mm -hmm. Real slow. I mean, could you imagine there was a direct, like a fast, like the Hyperloop rig? I, as an example, which yeah. is very far away. It's not any anytime soon, but could you imagine how much air, red deer would grow if they had that? But like your point, your point is interesting when you talked about how Airdrie was underwater and then all of the demand came to Alberta. Now Airdrie is like hot as shit. Mm. So that this paradigm shift that you're talking about is a really good point, but that kind of proves my point as well, that people are hungry for affordable products that are easily accessible to urban cities. I would never live in Airdrie if I worked in Calgary because that commute is brutal going down Highway 2. Oh, yeah. would never want to do that in my life. Yeah. But it does kind of prove a point that more or less people don't want to live in multifamily and they want to live in the single family because that is the American dream. So if, if that's going to continue, then I would have to say that the cities need to put that into consideration because right now Calgary is fairly quickly becoming Vancouver- in a way, obviously, we're still half the cost of Vancouver, but we've grown up to this point where it's just unrealistic for the average Joe Schmo under 30 to buy a house or even under 40, for that matter, if they haven't really done the right investments. Well, I mean, let's let's be clear, though. I mean, Airdrie, the point there is that it was affordable. Yes. Three years ago. Yeah, right? for sure. And the fire's now lit. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't consider that affordable. Um, we're, we're talking about like a working middle class, mm -hmm. possibly a one income household. You're not, you're not getting a mortgage for 700 K. So I guess absolutely let's be clear to the audience here. You can afford a single family detached, not calling you entitled. I'm saying you're doing better. Well, I guess it did. You're above average. You're, you're doing well. Right. Yeah. So, so there's nothing wrong. Why you're single family detached. I mean, we, we both live in single de detached. It's just the single detached solution long-term doesn't prove to be affordable mm -hmm. an affordable solution mm -hmm. uh, versus higher density if, if you can't get into a house then you should get into something otherwise you're just continuing and if you don't put some equity into a house you're falling behind mm -hmm. year after year after year after year um obviously you know don't just jump into something because you have to um but buying something in, in my mind unless it's an absolute lemon and don't get me wrong too. Like I, I am a proponent for affordable, like I do want to see gentrification in communities in Calgary. I do want to see more high rises in Calgary that appeal to a lot more people. But the, all, the thing that does make me nervous as well is when you look at Calgary's history, even just the last 15 years, and this is just Calgary as an example, every city's different, but you see the highs and lows of Calgary's gone through. Like you look at 2015 to 2020, how many like um apartments were at like six to eight months of supply mm -hmm. like there was so many things for calgary that you could have purchased at a very realistic price point but now we're going through this crazy roller coaster or like are we going to see another correction right are we going to see so if we start to really dive into this gentrification and affordable product in urban centers are we going to shoot ourselves in the foot 15 years from now if calgary goes through another lull and I think that also stems with federal policies and how much support Alberta gets for oil and gas. Are we going to start to shift away? Whatever, whatever. Like that's my concern is we start building all of these apartments and then we go right back to where we were in 2016, 17, where it's like 
We have so many of them and no one wants to buy them because I would never live in an apartment. Even if I couldn't afford a townhouse, I would probably rent until I could afford a townhouse. Yeah, but we're talking rental values right now downtown. I mean, we, we had a friend that just moved here from Toronto and he's paying twelve fifty for a bedroom and a two bedroom apartment on seventeen. <laughs> like that landlord's getting like thirty five hundred. Yeah, it's now. ridiculous. They're yeah. renting out the studio as well. Yeah. There's like Well, there needs to be policy like in place for that. Yeah, it's like a little living room. Yeah. They just like put up a curtain, right? So it's crazy. That's affordability is coming back to, yeah, we have a ton of supply. Well, rental rates are just extremely affordable. Mm-hmm. Is there better security long-term in housing? I mean, possibly, but if you bought a house top of the market in Airdrie, you better hope that a lot of people still like Airdrie versus Absolutely. if you had incentives, specifically financial incentives for people to buy into this product, to live in this product, mm-hmm. and make it more affordable for them to get in, um, then, yeah, there's always going to be demand for that product. If you could pay $900 a month to live in a 1,000-square-foot two-bad downtown, are you going to pay four to live in your house? What would you pay? Mm. I mean, I'd always pay the grand, partially because I prefer to live in condos yeah. because the the low maintenance that's right. behind it. That's fair. Um, I'm just going to tie this in as well. I mean, I, I found it really interesting that when when they talk about 15 minutes season, by they I mean uh, I believe this is C40 uh, policy briefs, so it's climate leadership group uh, that put this together. They talk a lot about climate, and it's likely around transportation. Like you're not hustling around the city all the time in mm-hmm. your car. Um, I mean, personal car usage is, is only a fraction of what would actually be burnt. E- even the transportation cost of general goods like food to downtown cores, uh, usually increase when, when personal car, um, ownership and usage decreases. So kind of a shoestring climate conclusion, but, uh, they really drive home inclusive, uh, inclusionary zones. In, in housing, and I think that's probably a mistake that's alienated a lot of people. That that you you buy a condo next door to like a like a low income subsized unit, just inherently how the market works, your property values are probably going to drop. Mm-hmm. You have your condo next to a safe drop or a food bank or something like that. It's really terrible, but that's that's just how the market works. So yep. A ton of people want to live next to that. So demand generally goes down. So I don't know if like segregating the downtown core into income brackets would be an awful idea. Dangerous. Well, yeah, it would be yeah. an awful idea. I mean, Vancouver's seen a little bit of that, that they've they've annexed the downtown east side. And even their urban planners have created public transit to be quite difficult. The streets are all windy and dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. nice. Like it was, it was almost purposeful that they put it down there and made it very difficult, especially if you're on drugs, to get out of that crazy winding loop of the downtown east side. Um, but what it did do short term, their own problems aside, what it did do short term is that a majority of what was going on is down in that area, mm-hmm. right? And then it's only only hardly spreading out to the rest of the city in comparison. I, st- I still think that, I mean, last time I went to Vancouver, it looked like Gotham out of Batman, and so we're, we're happy to have moved. Um, but the, the conclusions around affordability, I think that they're really driving home that the, the condos themselves increase in price over time because of demand, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily the direct purchase price of the unit that makes living in those downtown cores more affordable. Mm. It's the lack of other things you might require, car insurance, gas, vehicle itself. Holistic photo picture. Yeah, and then when you have these urban centers, typically the cost of goods and services go down as well because of competition. Mm-hmm. 
and they're all conjugated. That's yeah, that's a really good uh way of wrapping that up actually. It's more or less looking at it as a holistic photo because I guess for myself when we started talking about affordability, obviously there's a full picture, but my thought process is mainly purchase price, interest rate and then what you can do to continue to invest, right? Because there's so many people that I know right now that are stretching themselves. Yeah. Just right now 2023, right? Just trying to get into the Calgary market. They're stretching themselves to get into some home ownership and all fine and dandy to have yourself a property, but if the market starts to correct, got to be careful. Yeah. I mean, if there's an incentive to get down there, maybe mm-hmm. the new leaning dream is to urbanize mm-hmm. and continue to do so. Do you see it? I just don't, I just don't fully see it. I, I, I just can't see it right with Canada fully urbanizing with like the 15 minute cities quite yet. I think that there's plans for it, but in Calgary downtown, We'll use the two cities that I'm most familiar with, Vancouver and Calgary. Okay. I go around the corner, I'm paying higher rents, crazy rents that just seem astronomical when you look at it from Calgary. I mean, they're getting up there in Calgary, but I go around the corner and my lunch was like whole sushi dinner, basically. Mm-hmm. Like it was big, big platters, like six bucks. Why? Because there's three other sushi restaurants on that street. Sushi everywhere, mm-hmm. right? So while I was paying more for my rent and to live in that city at that given time, my other costs had gone way down. Mm-hmm. Calgary hasn't really come to that. You can go downtown and everything's just more expensive. It's true. And so they stay in suburban areas and you like the superstores and the, the big, you know, consumer shopping mm-hmm. malls and, and whatnot, as those are generally more cost effective. But if that turned around, we're looking at month to month. So if you can hardly afford a condo, you certainly can't afford a house. Mm-hmm. And if your living costs in the suburbs are then higher as well, so you're hardly affording, affording your mortgage, but you can never eat out and your groceries are a stretch versus you could go downtown, downsize or go to like a thousand square foot apartment. But now you have all this extra cash because you're not dumping into these other necessities in your life for you to exist in that suburb. Mm-hmm. That's affordability. It's not, it's not just like A to B, like I bought a house for 400K. Generally, in my experience, the clients is if they can afford a house at 600K, they buy a house at 600K. Mm-hmm. They don't like, you know, move from, um, you know, buying a million dollar house in West Hillers to right next to Marlboro Mall mm-hmm. just to save the 600K because they don't have that cash. Yeah. A uh, little different now, I think, with interest rates coming up and a, and a little bit of a retirement push, at least of a, among my clients, those would be the exceptions. Um, but I, I think when it comes to affordability, we're really we're really addressing the people that are looking at the month-to-month cost. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the purchase price on the house itself. That's valid. I don't know what your experience, but in my experience, it's it's kind of crazy because I found that the the higher price point clients, so the people that are pre-approved for like 8 to 1.2, are usually more inclined to stay well within their means rather than the person that could afford or pre-approved for 450, like they're right at 450. Where if someone is approved for like 900, they're usually looking at like 657, at least to start. So it's it's kind of interesting to see like the, uh, the, the financial intelligence difference there. So it's like where the lower class want to feel like the upper class or the upper class from my experience, at least want to stay kind of within their means a little bit more realistically. So it's like, it's like an education issue. You know, that, and I'm just side comment, <laughs> side comment. I think it's maybe their expectations as well. Like I've mm. never, I've never had a client that's looking at spending $2 million in Elbow Park and they're like, you know what? I'd rather 
go way, 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 way down mm-hmm. to the Southwest so I can get the same house for a million bucks. Mm-hmm. I've actually never had that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's their expectation for what they're going to spend mm-hmm. and, and the value that they're going to receive. And I guess a little bit more luxury co- or, um, communities like um, the cottage community at a ghost lake there. I think people try to try to fit into the median bracket. But what I found over time with rising values out there, the people that um, you know, would have spent six six hundred thousand a couple of years ago. Now the average is seven, right? So we had houses at six hundred, and they only wanted to pay five hundred. And now we have houses at seven hundred, and they only want to pay six hundred, and so on. Right, and so right. Goes. They they may just not be a buyer for that particular area. So, but that's like a lack of choice. Um, I think to circle our uh, conversation around because we're coming to an end here. I'm going to put a minute before our camera shuts off. I don't. Um, I don't necessarily know if there's a right answer to this. I mean, I would personally like to see, I think there's a lot of external benefits, but an obvious affordability answer among greater urbanization. Yeah. Um, I, I I think we see it on two opposite sides of the coin and it, maybe it's just our personal bias and lifestyle that we choose. Absolutely. That's leading into that. Yeah. Um, I would like to see the downtown core completely abolish like parking. <laughs> Holy shit, this is getting intense. Get rid of the parking lot, stop renovating well, uh, office buildings because what's going to happen is you're going to turn those into apartments and then all of a sudden we need more office space and uh, and all we're left with is tons of apartments, no offices, and we still have the parking lots. So, you know, just mind map that. Anyone who's in charge, look at an aerial, mm. I don't know, go for a weekend and really sit on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but parking, if you if you built the downtown core correctly, you would not need all that parking space, and you, you could create a, a lot more of a, an experience mm-hmm. being downtown, and people would want to move to those areas. Mm-hmm. Versus uh, the suburban sprawl, I think the accessibility is there. And if you can afford it and you want that, then do it. But I think I was coming from a place of people that can't afford that mm-hmm. any longer. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you, need, you know, average income in Calgary is, what, 61000 Seven hundred thousand dollar house. You need, I think, one forty, don't you? One forty a year pre tax, or the one fifty a year to get into one of those. I think it's one fifty, give or take. Yeah, I'd have to look up those numbers. So you're getting into a house by the skinny teeth. Yeah, basically. pretty much. Then, uh, you know, if you have payments on your cars and stuff like that, then mm-hmm. credit card debt or student debt, then it probably won't happen. Yeah, that that's the killer. So this is a continued conversation. This is not the final straw from this uh, conversation. We're going to continue on with that. But I think for the next season, because this is the final episode of this season, what are you thinking? What are you thinking we should do? Do you think we should talk about Calgary or do you think we should continue to, to go into this affordability rabbit hole? Because I know you are riled up. And I think that's a cool conversation, but the problem is our audience might not all be from Calgary. I, I just think that affordability has been such a politicized conversation. Yeah. And we throw it at REITs, we throw it at developers, we throw it at uh, foreign purchasers and like really none of them are at fault. Absolutely. We haven't, you know, why don't, why don't we just let the economy go and then create solutions to get people into it? Mm-hmm. You know, and if it, uh, if there in fact is a uh, housing pop here that I think would probably come from added supply instead of just like taxing and raising rates and just making it impossible for people to consume this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next conversation, which kind of leads over from affordability, but at a different bracket, was uh okay so if we continue what we're doing uh, in construction space are we actually doing it correctly mm. uh there's a whole conversation late 2000s after like the whole 80s bust of post-tension cable buildings multifamily and stuff like that uh, it got me thinking about single family detached i was driving through capitol hill 
uh, and I was actually doing a showing on one of the wartime houses out there. Nice. Which you, you know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? It's like square with a yeah. giant peak on it. It's just, it was at the time. Very cookie cutter. Yeah. It was the most affordable way to make a house. And everyone's so sick of these front end drives with little garage or little basements and, and stuff like that. Is the next move actually with cost concrete to take away basements altogether? Ooh. The cost effective build of doing a no basement slab on grade. Mm. Um, I was looking at what they're building in Texas. Mm -hmm. And some of that I'm sure is from what they're building on top of. Mm -hmm. Maybe have a conversation about that around is is the next solution for affordability because land prices are so high, we typically add an extra floor into the basement. Mm -hmm. Is it actually just to do slab on grade and then start allowing three-story uh, three houses? That's a, that's a good conversation, actually. I've thought about that as well in my... So I think the next train that we can go down is current current trends that we see in new construction and added homes, and is there a uh, a solution in there to improve on that would actually you know you get more house for your buck, mm -hmm. a different style that we can we can see. Uh, when I ask the developers in these areas, even ones that were highly influenced the design of Calgary, as to like why they chose to do this, I two answers. One, it's always what we've done. So it's like it's tried, tried and true, yeah, right. And so they're not let us here. And then the second one is it's the most profitable. Mm. So maybe offering a more profitable solution mm. uh, could be a mixture of our two conversations here. Maybe you could do higher density, but it is single detached. But instead of building wide, big basement properties, you build skinny, narrow columns, mm -hmm. like um, I don't know, like the townhouses in Amsterdam. Latvia, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, I guess a lot of European countries. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I would like to dive into the paradigm shift, actual, the article that you brought, just having a shift of focus rather than just shooting for that single family, but having a paradigm shift more uh, multifamily. I think that's kind of a neat conversation. So let's end it there. Um, that was a fantastic conversation. We thank you very much for watching. If you have any questions, reach out. Look forward to the next season. Uh, I think this is a pretty good start. We look forward to your feedback. I mean, at the end of the day, um, let us know what your thoughts are. I think that these conversations are not necessarily new to us, but having them in a professional setting on a camera where we can't uh, fully let go is uh, is interesting to say the least. But we look forward to your feedback and, and we want to continue to grow this podcast. So, you know, if there's topics that you want to talk about, let us know. And um, that's all I've got. Fantastic. Thanks for watching. To see you on the next one.